And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, part two of the Bluminati podcast, 2020 USF football mega podcast special, where we touch everything of USF football surrounding uh, the upcoming pandemic season. Uh, super exciting. We'll, we'll jump right into it. We've got Steve, Seth, Vito, and the Senator uh, alongside uh, your host here, Nathan Bond. Uh, super excited. Uh, to get going, I think we need to get right into it. The AAC poll, the preseason media poll came out uh, today. And uh, as you know, not really a shock to anyone, UCF, they were to win the, win the preseason. They were, they were picked to win it all. It was a close contest with Cincinnati, who came up just three points shy. They'll finish second just real quick. So UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, SMU, Navy with their one first place vote. Fifth, sixth, Tulane, seventh, Houston, eighth, Temple, ninth, Tulsa, tenth, ECU, eleventh, bringing up the rear, your University of South Florida Bulls. Quick question. Yes. Who votes on this poll? Uh, your boy did. Um, uh, and uh, other media outlets. Joey Knight has a vote. Uh, some other people uh, around the AAC sphere have votes. Mm-hmm. All right. I think a lot of them are just so tired of hearing from uh, certain fan bases that are also Russian bots that they are not first. They don't get respect with a K and a T that they were just like, yeah, fuck it. Put them first. It's fun. Um, since everybody knows Cincinnati should probably be first, but there's like, I don't want to hear it from UCF fans. Fuck it. Put them first. Let's go. It's definitely possible. I know uh, that there's 20, 20, 20 people voted. I was one of 20 people to get a vote, guys. Pretty pretty, pretty happy about that. Not bad for hate blogger. Oh, for sure, man. The boy's moving up. She's got to get that check mark next. I know, man. Jeez. Uh, you're one of those blue checks. I'm sorry. You're, you're, uh, you're one of the evils. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, this is the – I believe it's the third, third year in a row. Uh, UCF has been picked uh, to finish first. This is the first time ever USF has been picked last, and, and it was real close. Um, we'll get into my ballot here in a minute, but it was real close. But the the very fun fact is only one team has ever received a first-place vote and ended up winless that season. Happened in 2015. I don't know who it could have been, but it did happen. You know, it, it, it's going to be fun. Um, and... Let's let's just kind of dive into my to my uh, poll here that I that I did. You know, when I first looked at it, I had USF seventh, and if I kept them seventh, they wouldn't have finished in last place. So apologies there, uh, but I, I couldn't, in my good faith, put them seventh. There's nothing to go off of here. Why why am I putting this team seventh? New team, new staff, new quarterback, maybe. Offensive line in shambles. I mean, you've heard it all in part one. It, it's just going to be a cluster this year, but a fun cluster. Everyone's going to get to play. So I ended up, this was my final. I'll go bottom up for, you know, 10 to 1. Uh, so I put Tulsa 11th because they still have Diet Lemon Booty as their head coach. And Tulsa, they've been hit with COVID. They're cash trapped. They're just the worst. They're in the middle of nowhere. They suck. Uh, and then 10th, USF. Room for improvement. I, I, I think they could finish seventh or eighth, depending on everything, how everything else breaks. Um, ninth was Temple. 
I don't believe in Rod Carey. I think he's going to ruin everything that Matt Rule had put into place uh, at Temple here real quick. I think Manny Diaz was the right choice. Unfortunately, he got picked off like three weeks later for Miami. So Rocky, he's going to ruin He's going to ruin it. SMU, I think they lost a lot of guys. I know Shane Michelle's back and they, they've got some talent. I think uh, Reggie Roberson's still there, but defense, I think it, they've lost some really good talent there. I think they take a step back. And I think the surprise team for me uh, on the bottom half was ECU. I put them seventh. I think Holden Ehlers is going to be really good. Mike Houston's a fantastic coach. They're going to be good, and it, suck. it pains me. I think it pains me more to put ECU so high than it does to put UCF first because they're just really good. You're going to get an email saying that you ranked ECU too low. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. She'll probably get my work email somehow. Um, Funny story. Yeah. Uh, six with Houston. I could see Houston, Tulane, Navy kind of all jumbling up together, but I, I, I picked Houston. Uh, they lost quite a bit of talent. You know, Jerry King's not there. I know they're big fans of Clayton Tune, but who knows? Who knows? Um, so that was kind of my pick there. Uh, Navy, uh, they lose Malcolm Perry, but I, I trust I trust Coach Ken. Uh, great guy, great personality. Love their stadium. I think this is more – I think this was the emotional pick to put him fifth than anything else. Fourth was Tulane because I think Fritz Miss is real. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty good. Uh, they've got a lot of talent coming back here. I know they, they lost their running back uh, with a torn ACL or Achilles. Uh, last month or two months ago leading up to this, uh, during the, the COVID workout. So I think there's still some depth there. Memphis, third. Lemon <sighs> Booty's out of there. So it, it, it could, it, it could, Memphis could win it because they finally have a coach who's not such a Lemon Booty uh, in close games and, and not blowing big leads. So we'll see. I put Cincinnati second. Um, I, I don't know if I trust Desmond Ritter uh, as much as maybe I did last year or the year before. Yeah, they scraped by uh, UCF, you know, a lot of turnovers. It was, Great. It came with that amazing gift that will stand the test of time after that that win. Luke signed his extension, so he'll be there for probably just another year because extensions don't matter in college football. But top the top team is, is UCF. It's almost like college football uh, contracts are <laughs> fickle. They're a little fickle. Just a little fickle. Their gigs. But I think the top team's UCF. Even with uh, even with the, the departure of 10 guys who opted out, I believe two starters, a backup quarterback and Daryl Mack. There's still a lot of talent there. Dylan Gabriel is the real deal as a sophomore. Now they still got talent. Otis Anderson is still there. Greg McCray is still there. I believe it's still great talent. They're the team to beat uh, in my eyes. Um, but I'll open the floor to critiques. Anything else you guys may have, uh, you know, maybe your own personal ranking, Steve, uh, real quick. If it varies differently from mine, if you, you have too high, too low on a team, let me know. Uh, the only things that I would change is I would probably bump, um, and this is because I, I truly don't believe in Holton Nailers. Um, I don't know the hype around him. I don't think that ECU is going to be that good this year. Um, I would probably bump them down a little bit. I'd bump USF back up one. Um, and then I, I would switch uh, Cincinnati and UCF. I, I think Luke Fickle, I think if you're going to go like man-to-man against – Talent to, talent to talent. I mean, I I think Cincinnati's the most talented roster that is in the conference right now. I don't think that they – I think Josh Heupel is not exactly the best game manager. I think he might be turning into the next Lemon Booty 
uh, head coach in the in the conference. I mean, oh, no. you you look at that Tulsa game last year, and I mean, after that Tulsa game, they really didn't play anyone good. After that, uh, I think if I recall their schedule correctly, they played Tulsa, UConn, and then us. So they really got exposed that game for who they were, uh, which is a team that didn't have a very good offensive line and just kind of scraped by on, on Dylan Gabriel, you know, throwing to throw it to um, Gabriel Davis for, for most of the time and, and, you know, getting bailed out a lot of, a lot of plays. So I think UCF is going to actually take a little bit of a step back this year. I think they're still really talented. I think they're still the second best team in the conference, but I think you're going to see, especially the fact that three of their offensive linemen opted out. That's a lot of depth. They're going to be missing the rest of this uh, season. Um, and then Memphis um, had Kenneth Gainwell not opted out. I think can I think Memphis might have competed a little bit more. But yeah, I I, I think everything else you had a pretty much spot on. Yeah, I will say uh, I we had to submit our votes uh, on Sunday, and then like three hours later, Gainwell opted out. So tough break for your boy, but I still believe. Uh, Seth, thoughts on thoughts on it? it, it too high, too low? What? What, what kind of stood out to you? I would flip SMU and Tulane. I don't think Tulane is going to be very good this year. Uh, they're 122nd in returning production, so they got to break in a lot of new guys. 126 on offense. So I'm worried about that, but they do have a good coach, so maybe they get around that. Um, and then SMU's probably got the best quarterback in the conference back and a really good receiver if he can stay healthy. Um, I mean, we saw last year – USF's got two really good corners. Neither of them could cover either one of those receivers that SMU had when Buchel was on. So who else is going to be able to cover them in the conference? I don't think anybody. So um, I'm probably a little higher on SMU than you are and a little low on Tulane just for returning production. But both uh, Tulane does have a really good coaching staff. So maybe they got the right guys coming back and they can kind of get around it. But they worry me a little bit. But those are the only two. I think everything else is – I think everybody's in the – right ballpark and I think it's going to be jumbled up anyways so you could see a team rise up and get towards the top that maybe is unexpected just because there's a lot of I think parity in the middle middle bottom. Vito, Gigs, anything uh, to add what you guys think uh, any you know higher or lower than what's already been kind of mentioned? I think it's pretty much uh, spot on there's there's a lot of wait and see USF has a new coach that they just fired Charlie Strong, so nobody really knows. They just kind of look at that record last year. When you have a new coach and you have a new staff, you didn't have a spring. There's a lot of uncertainty there, so people kind of go with the, well, new coach is going to yield poor results. But I always feel like with the American, you have a really solid top half. Your one, one, two, and three are really solid. And with UConn gone, you don't really have a basement as much as you used to. And I just feel like the middle can jumble up year to year just based on who randomly surprises. SMU is that team last year. I mean, USF did it 2015. Not saying they're going to do it again, but, you know, if Tulane go, takes a step backwards, Navy takes a step backwards, you have no reason to think those things. But just as the course of the year goes, those end up being very like an elevator some trend up some trend down just depending on how the year goes and if they can get some confidence and maybe you beat the citadel handily and you find a quarterback maybe you i mean don't beat notre dame but you at least don't you know get blown out like against wisconsin last year and you you, you never know but i think what you do is pretty pretty spot on it's really weird i would think with shane bushield smu should be higher but they did lose a lot so i do get that and i'm surprised with tulane but bringing up that production that's uh 
that's a huge part of it. And with, you know, everything going on and lack of practice time and uncertainty and who knows what that could mean a lot. So I liked your picks when you went USF at seven at first, I was like, I could believe it. And I know a lot of people thought it was nuts, but that was, that would have put them not in the basement. So that's kind of funny when you yeah. uh, reassessed after it truly, it truly, truly <laughs> is my fault. But you know, if things go well this season. I can claim that I was responsible for putting that chip on their shoulder. Oh, there you go. Hard uh, agree on <laughs> Temple being terrible, though. I think they're. I think they've got like an anchor strap to them. Yeah, and dude, it's it's going to crater so so hard. Uh, uh, it's a shame to see. It's going to be bad. Uh, I, I I will just interject real quick. I think you uh, you're out of your mind on your rankings. Hot, hot take. I think that in the past couple of years, it's always going to be. Uh, UCF, unfortunately, Cincy and Memphis gonna kind of trading off the top three, but the rest is just gonna be fucking categories, man. You never know who's gonna do what and how they're gonna do it, but it's gonna happen. So I, I don't, I don't think uh, we finish last. I think we work best when we have a chip on our shoulder. Then again, this is the weirdest fucking year that I can remember. So. Who knows? You know, this is going to really test the the power and strength of the TDS reverse jinx. You know, you know, I, I've done it to people. You know, Shane McClanahan, Coco Montez, uh, Elijah Mack for like a spring. But I mean, if I can get an entire team to do better than what everyone else expects, man, uh, I'll I'll count it. But man, it, it's going to be tough for them to. You know, I, I said on Twitter, there's only one way to go up. You can only go up from here. You know, and if they've got the right leadership in place, Michael Kelly, Jeff Scott, even Dr. Corral, it seems like he's on board more than uh, more so, and he's not as interested in photo ops at sporting events. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I think we, we've got the right leadership in place to deal with this COVID situation. The testing has been top notch. I believe the third straight week with no COVID positive tests, which is phenomenal news. Yeah, especially when you compare it to some SEC schools who I think Alabama and South Carolina, you know, total in the student body, they've had over a thousand positive cases, you know, doubling in, in a week. Um, so it, it, I'm excited for it. I think the University of Arizona, I believe, um, were, were able to stop an outbreak due to wastewater testing. Isn't that so cool? That's like the coolest South thing ever. That's so smart. It, it truly, truly incredible stuff from them. Um, knowing where the pipes would come out, knowing which dorms, and stopping, stopping an outbreak. I paid fifteen thousand dollars for a Japanese toilet just to have this uh, service is now free to certain people. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm voting the different. Way. It was I, that story. If you haven't read that, uh, heard about that story, read about it, read it. It's uh, phenomenal what they did to. You know, stop that outbreak uh, within that dorm room or that dormitory. But it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting, fun season ahead. Uh, we've got some great games we've alluded to. Getting into the schedule here, we've got Citadel coming up in 11, 11 days. They run the triple. They've got their quarterback returning. They've got their running back returning. And USF actually lucked out. They actually had a running back transfer in who was the top returning rusher uh, in the league. He opted out, um, and then their their top wide receiver is still back. So it's it's going to be interesting to see um, the triple. Op- I think we're going to get triple option to death uh, 
in 100 degree weather uh, on a 1, 8, 1 p.m. kick, and then bring it, bring it all, uh, you know, full circle uh, nine years later at uh, at South Bend versus Notre Dame, three game series again. Michael Kelly making chicken salad, out of chicken shit for since 2018. A uh, huge get for them uh, to beat. Notre Dame's, you know, lone non-conference game, I believe, right? Because they're running an ACC schedule plus one non-conference. Buddy, um, at this point, we're running an ACC schedule. Yeah. We are in the ACC. We're just going to plant the flag. Just call it a day. We're fine. <laughs> Count, sure, it. Count, Count it. So, super exciting. Uh, the FAU game's still on, and then the conference game. It, it could have been worse. Let's just say that I've, I've, I've foiled the, the contracts for Notre Dame and Citadel. I know Citadel's getting, I think 250 or 275,000 for, you know, travel expenses, whatever for the game. That's pretty typical, but interesting to see, you know, how much Notre Dame's paying for that first game and, you know, the differences between, uh, the home game and the, the second road game. Um, but Hey man, two for one's work, man. And, We'll, we'll see how the, the Texas buyout works if they just reschedule. Um, the Bulls, Bulls don't have many openings coming up in the next eight years. I think the next true uh, opening where they you may not have to finagle with the dates is uh, in 2028, which is why Notre Dame's the two the home game uh, at Ray J and this, the return game to South Bend or TBD because it, it could be 2036 by the time those games are played. Who knows? Um, but and I, I would like to ever, I don't know if you've been around the internets all that long, but there used to be a Syracuse blog called Tron Nunez is an absolute magician. And oh, yeah. I would have, if, if it wasn't called, you know, previously the, the voodoo five now it's the daily stampede, I would make it a motion to say that Michael Kelly is an absolute magician. The dude has gotten games, at, almost out of left field, what, a year and a half in? Some people, you know, that have been in their positions for 10, 15, 20 years couldn't get these games, and that is amazing to me. Yep, and, uh, you know, I think we need to start, like, talking down about Michael Kelly, just, like, put some bad, like, news, PR, just put it out there just so he doesn't leave for the ACC uh, commissioner job. Like, you know, actually, he was actually really bad. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I heard he's, he's a little spot. His memory's a little spotty. Uh, I hear he's not a great debater. Oh, sorry. Is this West Wing? I'm sorry. He uh, he hates Sade, so that's... You know, oh, you can't do that nowadays. His favorite pizza is Cappies. Yeah, I mean... Uh, he loves hates, ranch on everything. Yeah, just not a bad person. Or not, I, can't even, I can't even say, oh, say yeah, that yeah. thing. He's not a bad person. I can't even do that right. I just, <laughs> oh, God. He's not, he's not not a bad person. He's not, not, not a bad... Shit. <laughs> How many knots do I need to make it so he's dead? Um, four? He's also handsome. What are we gonna do? Ugh, I know it's annoying. Um, he's got he's got too much uke in him. He does. He has a lot of uke in him, and that's gonna suck. And just be prepared. Uh, but happier, happier thoughts. Let's uh, get into the best case, worst case for the football season. I've kind of tasked Seth and Steve for this for the best case. Seth, I'll give you. 45 seconds. What's your best case scenario for this team? All right, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say a bowl game. Now, 
with a qualifier that there's more bowl spots than actual teams playing football. So it's not as much of a limb as it sounds like initially. But I'd say, um, just looking at the schedule, I think four, four, four to five wins, I think, is the best case scenario. It really depends on quarterback play. But, you know, I think Citadel's going to be a win. You know, maybe you get one from Florida Atlantic. I think they're having some problems. And then you got Temple and Tulsa, which I think could be wins in conference. That gets you to four. And then you got East Carolina. Maybe it's going to be a toss-up. And you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of Houston and Navy yet. So maybe one of those. So I think best-case scenario, you get good quarterback play. You're able to improve as the season goes along. Push five wins, I think, is, uh, would be a great season in the year one. Steve, best case. I've got six wins. I've got us beating Citadel, FAU, ECU, Temple. Shocking thing. I have Tulsa having to forfeit their game, which counts us as a win. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think by NCAA rule, if they forfeit, it's a 2 nothing victory. So 2 uh, nothing victory over Tulsa. We beat Navy because uh, uh, we'll probably be in World War Three, and all the cadets have to go off to a war at that time. And then uh, we potentially almost upset C because their entire campus has covid um, so another potential forfeit there as well. That's my best case scenario. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen this year. Fuck it. <laughs> is it. Would it be a hot take to say, and I think this is true, that USF is actually the only team in the American with a chance to make the playoff? No. Because, because they're the, I think they're the only one with a schedule. With having Notre Dame on there, if you beat Notre Dame and go undefeated, which – no, we're, this is way out there, but I don't think anybody else has a tough enough schedule to make the playoff except for USF. Yeah, or even the games. I mean, UCF only has nine. You would think that you would need to, at a non-power conference, yeah. win and blow out everybody, but they're out of conference at Georgia Tech. Who knows what they're going to do? You just, yeah, you're right. I think they, since One, USF two, has the three, best three ranked four, teams this year so far. Six. I think that I think they play six teams that had at least ten wins last year. Three are ranked already. You really got to hope for the Citadel to go. How many? I don't even know how many games they're playing. Like four? They're playing four games to go three and one. I think so. That means they have to beat Clemson. That's a resume booster. <laughs> if, if they beat Clemson and lose USF, USF's probably going undefeated. So there it is. And hey, if you, if you think it's wacky, don't forget this is really wacky time. So we're having fun with it. <laughs> so you know, it's gonna get weird. I, I almost hope we we beat Notre Dame, but we lose to FAU. Just give Willie <laughs> just a little bit of a boost because this year doesn't count, and Willie could use it. He could use it. He really could. But I mean, honestly, I mean, Seth, you're you're dead right here. They go eleven and zero with the schedule they have right now. They make it. They're making the college football. <laughs> And I don't think anybody else in the conference, even if they win 11 0, would make it. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that, as you pointed out, they no one in this conference is playing hard enough teams. Austin P didn't show me enough to give Cincinnati a boost in their <laughs> close loss to Central Arkansas or whoever it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> Hey man, that's a, that's I think that's the ultimate best case scenario right there. Then they make the playoff. There you go. That's all they just gotta win out. They'll make the playoff. Uh, oh my so, god, I'd shit post the shit out of it. Oh my god, I'd never let anyone forget it. <laughs> no, never. This would be our uh our championship asterisk. Oh my god. All right. So flip side, worst case scenario. We all die. Oh, that's just yeah. Well, that's going to happen anyway, so... Yeah. Well, that took a turn. Yeah, but I mean soon. Well, maybe. 
we're absolute worst case scenario. USF loses to the Citadel and the rest of the season gets canceled and you end no. the year. zero and one. If, if, and if, you if, are if, winless for the first time ever in program. If it's, if it's just us, they get like the rest of the season canceled. Yes. Like the rest of the, the conference gets to play, but we're fucked. Yeah. No, I agree with you. But if everything gets canceled, this, this season becomes a, it's like, ah, who gives a shit? But if we lost, I sat in that fucking stadium losing to McNeese state. Nothing will ever be as embarrassing as that. Mm, we'll see. All right. So worst case, you lose to the Citadel in Notre Dame season's canceled. You go, zero and two, Hey man, you played two games. That's, Count it. You know, that's almost playing uh, enough innings for the game to count. Uh, we're going to count it, and you become just another statistic, and you can't hold never going one less in a season over uh, any rival ever again, which is the absolute worst-case scenario. Real-life worst-case scenario, uh, the offense line is still morbidly terrible. Those poor quarterbacks get absolutely decimated and murdered uh, behind that offensive line. The secondary is overhyped. Nick Roberts and the and the safeties are a liability. KJ Sales and Mike Campton, because it is just history with USF. Once still good, once bad. It's, you never get both at the same time anymore. And uh, teams throw all over them. The defensive line is atrocious. It, you're giving up 500 plus yards every single game, and we've. Got to readjust our our already lowered expectations. It does sound bad, though. Yeah, I was about to say. I and it doesn't sound unreal. Scenario is actually like <laughs> most reasonable scenario. Yeah. Uh, I just I don't know. I I can't if they play the entire season. I can't see them losing every single game. No, I think their defense is too good. But who knows? But uh, man. That's my worst case scenario. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's rapid fire here. Let's uh, breakout player. We'll go around the room real quick. Thirty seconds. Pitch me uh, offensively, Yavito. Uh, I don't think you may have prepared for this, but you're going to do it anyway. Seth, breakout offensive player. Go. Thirty seconds. Kelly Joyner. I thought he was your best running back last year. He'll probably get more carries this year. He's really dynamic. Um, he doesn't need a lot of space. He just needs to crease. He's explosive. And your previous head coach said that if he wasn't hurt, he wouldn't have been here. So he probably thinks he's a pretty good player. So uh, it's interesting to see him develop. I thought he really played well last year. I think he's going to break out this year. Steve? I have Xavier Weaver. Uh, I really liked what I saw out of him last year um, as a wide receiver. Um, I thought he showed the most consistency from a wide receiver standpoint. And I think he's only going to get better in this offseason. Um, I don't think he's going to be our true number one. I think Randall St. Felix is still going to be your number one receiver, but I think he's going to be that guy that's going to come in and, and kind of get the ex- exceeding amount of touches and becomes that true number two to complement uh, basically that three wide outset. Vito. Uh, Noah Johnson. I think he's the guy that's going to end up taking the reins of the starting quarterback. Um, he's got a little, he's got a little cue in him. Um, he's had, has experience. He has an arm. If his completion percentage is up and he can, he can escape or if his completion percentage is up and he can make the throws and he can do the reads. And then he also has the legs on him. I, I think he could be the kind of guy that, I mean, maybe you only get him for a year because he'll leave after this, but he might be that one guy you go, oh, wow, okay, yeah. Now now we can see how this works with a quarterback who can run the system. All right, my pick, Terrence Horn. 
he scored uh, five touchdowns and I think tw- 21, 27 touches, career touches. He's finally healthy a year removed, a uh, full year removed from his torn ACL. That's always the key. You know, it's never the, the season you come back. It's the season after the season you come back that you get the full, the full, you know, effect. I think his legit, you know, hundred meter speed is his track speed is going to come into play. And I think we're going to see huge things from him. Um, you know what? You guys didn't put numbers on it. I'm going 35 catches, 752 yards, and six touchdowns for Terrence Horn. How many kickoff returns for a touchdown? Three. All right. I'll Defensively, Seth, who you got? Can I say, is Boyles a breakout? Would he be a breakout candidate? Yes. What if I said, I'll say him, I think he could be like an all-conference type player. He's going to have, I think he's going to have a uh, – uh, multiple role. He'll be up on line of scrimmage sometimes, backed off sometimes. I think he'll uh, be able to rush the passer a little bit. So I'm going to go with Boyles. I think he's going to have, uh, you know, maybe be a guy that can rise up and make a all-conference team by the time the year's over. This one's going to be a surprising one. Levante Camiel. I thought he was the most, like, day one ready recruit we got last year, and I'm surprised he stayed on the entire uh, – after, after Charlie Strong's firing, I'm surprised he stayed. I think he was – probably going to be the most athletic defensive lineman kind of stand-up hybrid. I think he's going to actually excel. He is an, a stud. He was already hella strong uh, coming out of high school, and I think he only got stronger as this uh, offseason kind of went on, and I think he's going to be putting up some sack numbers for Yosef. Vito. I think the uh, transfer Thad Mangum might actually surprise some people. Uh, I mean, I, we look at the interior line and guys like Blake Green have done a good job, but I think he might come in. I mean, he started 13 games. He's had, um, I want to say, six tackles for loss and under five sacks or so, but he's another veteran guy that can come in and, and play. And if, if Spencer can can slot him in there and he can he can eat up the uh, the middle, I think he can come in and do some good things. My turn, right? So I'm going. I'm actually going Blake Green. Um, I think getting him a scholarship, I think he may have been the best defensive lineman uh, last year. I think he is going to improve and continue to improve that he's just one of those. I think he's a dude. I think he's a dude along the defensive line uh, from, I think, Northwestern State University or something like that. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be the guy who broke out. He had had 23 tackles last year and he's only going to improve, but, He's my pick. Someone from this front six, seven, I guess you want to call it, uh, is going to just surprise everyone and, and get like first team all conference or something like that, just because this season's going to be fucked up. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, let's, uh, you know, holistically, part one, part two, we, we've, we've kind of come to the end here. Final thoughts, uh, Seth, what, you know, what is your expectation? What do you, what's the one thing? that you want to see from this year, throwing out wins, losses, everything else. What's the one thing you want to see? I think I said it previously, but if you can figure out who your quarterback is going forward and with, um, and I don't know how that will work if it is ends up being uh, Johnson and this year of eligibility doesn't count. I don't know if he'd be able to come back the next season or what, but I think if you find out, first of all, whether or not you have a quarterback on campus that you can win with, even if it ends up being one of these freshmen that just came in, let, throw them out there. So I think if that, that would be my goal, find a quarterback. I think your defense is going to be good enough to keep you in games. If you find a quarterback that can uh, make some plays, I think you'll probably have a better season than a lot of people are expecting. 
And if you don't, you're going to struggle. It's going to be similar to last year. But that would be my goal. Let's see if we can find a quarterback. If we have a quarterback going forward, that'll make everything easier, recruiting everything. will get easier if I know at the end of the year who my quarterback is going to the next season. Think, I, I think as far as this season, because I'm going to throw every record, I'm throwing all that out the window, uh, just the team to have that sense of swagger back. Uh, you're, you're starting to get hints of it, and it starts with the, teams ha- or the team having fun. Is, is, it sounds very stupid, but it's a thing when you – have fun during practices and when you're enjoying being there, you typically play better. And you could just tell the team was not playing happy last year. And again, it's a very deep psychological thing, but for them to get that swagger back, they're already starting to do it with, uh, with the two new uniforms that they uh, kind of dropped it. I, I want Jeff Scott and I want the rest of this coaching staff to just have these guys have fun this year. You know, at times throw the playbook out, throw some, throw some trick plays into there and do something different. Cause the entirety of last year was just us running into the same wall over and over again and expecting different results. And it was insane. And I, as much as the preseason hype that we gave into it uh, with the new offensive coordinators and um, hopefully the new staff and everything like that, you know, we, we, we fell for it, but with this new staff, you're hoping that they can at least the wins and losses don't really matter. Just the players are enjoying it. The players are having fun and they're getting that swagger back. The new South Florida is what they're calling it. And that's what I think is going to be key this year. Uh, to your point, I want to read you something that one of us uh, wrote last year in the season preview. And I, I want to see if you guys can guess who it was. Uh, it depends. Uh, the, the question was posed, uh, are the suspiciously positive vibes uh, for real or fake? And this person wrote, it depends on the source of the positivity. Is it a culture thing being driven by the player leadership? And it's more likely to last and contribute to winning. Is it players thinking that new coaches are going to be the magic pill that will solve all of last year's uh, issues? Then it may be fleeting. Coaches can drive culture, but great teams have culture driven by players and coaches. Who said that? Is that Ryan? Nope. Jamie? Nope. Was it me? Mr. Seth Barnador. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seth, you're handsome and correct. Yeah. I don't and, know why I didn't go there first. <laughs> shocking, actually. And I think that's that's it. I think. These guys, the, the players have taken a leadership role. You've seen it with KJ Sales and Jordan McLeod. The, the you know the cleanups, the, the the protest marches, the walks, the, the the shouting and shouting and and wanting for just equality for them as people. I think we're going to see it more and more, and I think that kind of feeds into it. And Jeff Scott kind of stepping aside, letting them be leaders as well as backing them up and not leaving them to the wolves, so to speak, during this time, I think shows a lot of character from this team that maybe wasn't there last year. I don't think Jordan McLeod's as vocal as he was last year uh, during this time. Who knows? Maturation, it's going to be a huge factor. But the one thing I I want from this year is uh, just be better between week one and week 11. Just be better. I don't care if we – I care that we win at least one game. Just win one. I don't care if we go one and 10, 11 and 0, and make the college football playoff. That'd be fantastic. I would love it. It'd be weird. But one and 10, two and nine, whatever. Just show improvement. That's all we want. This is, this is the Brian Gregory blueprint. You mentioned it in part one. You just bring in guys year one, start to build the culture and move it. Year by year, you know, you're, you're Stephen Jay, it's your Peyton Banks, your 
Terrence Samuels, the guys who came from, you know, fairly predicted UConn, Penn State, get these guys in, build the foundation, and then start building slowly but surely. Your first, you know, true recruiting class, you get your David Collins. Just build it brick by brick. Do not worry about the results this year because it's going to be terrible. This year is weird. Who knows? But just focus on two years from now, okay? Whatever you do today is going to lead to success or failure in two years uh, when Jeff Scott has up, you know, two full, two or three full cycles in there. That's what I want to see. Yeah, you know. I think I think that's a, just real quick. I think that's a really good point by you. Um, I wasn't even thinking kind of on that culture, but last year it was like bringing a culture band aid. You bring in a new offensive coordinator that's very confident, very competent, but you don't actually. It, it was just a band aid. You didn't actually let him hire everybody he wanted to. You didn't let him do put his whole staff on the offensive side of the ball. So it's it was just kind of all right. Let's see if it works. You didn't actually go out and change. This is a whole new staff coming in. Clemson, their number one thing they talk about all the time is culture. Scott is, was raised up there coaching culture, culture, culture. I think it's going to be very important. And just to what I said the previous year, it's an old like adage in coaching. Like bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, the coaches lead. The great teams are led by players. And if you watch any of the last dance stuff, you know, unquestionably the leader of that those great Bulls teams was Michael Jordan. Phil Jackson was there. He was helping guide people and managing and managing personalities. But all of the guys to a man said, even though they didn't like Michael Jordan sometimes, he all without him, they wouldn't got there because he pulled it out of them. Because you can peer-to-peer is a lot easier leadership. And it happens at every level of football. If you have good seniors in high school, you're gonna probably have a pretty good year. If you have bad seniors, it doesn't matter what else you have. If you don't have leadership. By the players, it's really tough to win unless you're just way more talented than everybody. So I think that's a, I think that's a really uh, a hidden thing. Probably people aren't talking about, but I think it's a really good point by you. I think if you get that culture reset, it's really good for the future of the program or the program, I should say. You know, what's the one thing you want to see? Pretty much, uh, uh, took it there with uh, with the staff. I just want to see improvements. Uh, I, there were always a ton of penalties with the, with the former staff. Improve on that from game one to game 11. You're going to start out rough, especially when you're going to get triple option to death. But And then you play Notre Dame. But, you know, improve from game one to game 11. Just seeing adjustments being made, uh, whether it's you bring in uh, new personnel or you're able to adjust on the fly. Just kind of seeing what Jeff Scott wants to do as a coach with his coordinators working. If he's going to take a step back and just be part of the game plan, or if he's going to be more hands-on and just kind of see how player development goes over the course of the year. I mean, so far he's knocked it out of the park with his, with his appearances with KJ sales. Everything he's saying is, is, is the right thing. Everything he's doing with his staff. It seems like the players have really bought in and that's incredible. So just see more of that kind of stuff because um, I think that's going to, that, that's going to transition because this year's such a wash, but like if something, let's say something terrible happens, how does, how can he and his staff respond as first time head coach? And I mean, he's doing great so far, but to see that end to end game one to game 11 or whenever it ends or however it works out would be what I, what I want to see, but it's all about the players having fun. It's all about us having fun. It'd be great to see some, some W's. Um, like I said, just get one. I'm with you there, but 
if they're having fun, if they're close games, great. As long as it seems like we are seeing some cohesion there. I mean, Brian Gregory's turned into one of my favorite coaches of all time. And just if we do what he did year one, just kind of start developing. That's, that's what I want to see. I mean, it'd be great to come out with, you know, a quarterback who's going to come into next year as well. See, we, we have a guy of the future, but I mean, with the recording recruiting class already pretty much kind of dialed in. And we'll talk about that later next week and seeing what the future is and how exciting how excited everybody seems to be. I think we're on the right direction. Just improvement. Just see what it's like. Uh, This year's going to be rough, but frankly, I don't think any of us really, really care. We just are happy to see that there is a, a guiding, a positive direction and a movement. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, I think on that note, I think we're good to wrap up this mega cast guys. I think it's, it's going to be painful. There's going to be growing pains, you know, I mean, we saw, again, if we can mirror what BG did from year, you know, minus one to, to now, um, we're going to be all right. And I think, again, leadership's in place to do that. Uh, stay positive. Say it's positive you can, while also noting the issues, right? You got to stay as positive you can, but acknowledge that there are still problems that will crop up. But the future's bright. I appreciate you guys hopping on. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to part two of the Bloom Night Podcast 2020 USF football preview. It's been an honor. I can't wait to get into the season and and talk about football more, watch more film, pick Seth's brain. It's going to be great. I, honest to God, if Seth is still uh, with the Daily Stampede in a year, something went horribly wrong. But other than that, appreciate it. Follow us on everything, at Stampede SBN, all of us. uh, It's going to be a fun season. Um, If not, we're going to learn something this year. So without further ado, this is the Blue Mighty Podcast signing off. Talk next week. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. And don't forget, WAP stands for wear a mask, people. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.